Please join me in the reading of his word. Today we will be reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's good to see all of you this morning. We've got a number of visitors with us. We're really thrilled that you've come to be with us this morning. Thank you so much for being a part of our worship. Uh, for a number of years, we have participated in a program our young people have called Lads to Leaders. And what Lads to Leaders is, it prepares young people for uh, leadership and worship responsibilities. It, it helps get them ready for being able to lead a song, to lead a prayer, to um, do things like that. This afternoon at 3.30 here at the building, our young people will be presenting, they've been working really hard for a number of weeks. They'll be presenting their speeches and leading some songs and things like that. And you are welcome to come and to be a part of that. This is their practice as they get ready to go to the annual convention in a couple of weeks. And so if you're able this afternoon at 3.30, it would be a great encouragement to them if you can come and be a part of that. It'd be a wonderful experience for you. It's uplifting and encouraging to see another generation that's, uh, that's learning how to serve God and how to lead in a public way in ways that honor Him. I'm preaching two sermons today that I feel like preachers just have to make disclaimers about. I, I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. Um, we are a generous congregation. And anytime a preacher preaches on giving, I, there's always those comments. And I know some of you are going to say this to me on the way up. Sounds like the preacher feels like he needs a raise or we're, we're just not doing. That's not what this is. I want to talk about giving this morning because giving is something that is central to being a Christian. And then this evening, Lord willing, the title of the lesson is Church Discipline. To my knowledge, our eldership is not currently actively thinking about withdrawing fellowship from anyone, but that is a lesson that it's been a while since we've heard here at Katy. It's still in the Bible, and there are some things that all of us need to think about regarding the discipline that comes from the body of Christ, from being part of this community of believers. And so I hope you'll be back this evening at 5 p.m. for that particular lesson as we worship God together as well. Open your Bibles again, if you would, to Acts chapter 4 and look at verses 32 through 37. Steve read just a moment ago about how the early church, the church in Jerusalem, they didn't count anything to be their own. They had all things in common. And it was really a, a special circumstance, an extraordinary circumstance that you find that early church manifesting. People had come from all over the world to Jerusalem for Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And on Pentecost, they were planning to worship as Jews would worship. And then they were going to go back to their homes in places like Rome and Babylon and Egypt. But on that day in Acts chapter 2, they heard something new, something that had never been heard before. They heard about 
the death and the burial and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And when the apostles capped off that sermon in Acts 2 with this Jesus whom you have crucified, God made both Lord and Christ, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And on that day, about 3,000 were added to the very first church. They had come from places far away and they did not immediately go back. And what's amazing, this is homework for you. What's amazing is that those who lived in Jerusalem and Judea, who lived nearby, who had houses and lands, immediately started selling their houses and selling their possession and selling their lands. And they took that money and they pooled it together so that no one lacked anything. It is one of the most incredible examples of generosity anywhere in the Bible. And this went on for quite a while. So as you're looking at Acts chapter four, verses 32 through 37, again, this is sometime after Acts two, and they're still selling houses and selling lands. And they're, I mean, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but how many people do you know that have sold a house and taken all of the proceeds, I mean, every penny, and given it to the church. How many people do you know that have done that? These people in Acts 4 were doing that and Barnabas did that. He's an example of that. And why is this in the Bible? Is this something that is normative for all of us? Are all of us supposed to sell everything that we have and pool it together so that none of us have need? I believe the answer is no and I'll tell you why. In Acts chapter 5 verse 4, when Ananias and Sapphira came and they pretended like they were bringing all of the proceeds from their sale, Peter asks Ananias the question. He said, while it was yours, while it was in your possession, was it not your own to do with as you wanted? So presumably the Bible is saying in Acts chapter 5 verse 4 that it was okay if Ananias and Sapphira had kept their land. That was their prerogative. They had the choice. And in other places in the New Testament, you find statements like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you not have houses to eat in? You remember that phrase, that expression? So in other places, the New Testament church, people lived in houses. The early church worshiped in people's homes. So not everybody in first century Christianity, not everybody sold their houses and their lands. But they were doing it in Jerusalem. It was a special circumstance. It was a unique circumstance there was a crisis. And here's what you learn in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. When there is a need, the people who belong to Jesus, they rise up to meet that need. When there is a crisis, the people that belong to Jesus will use whatever resources are at their disposal to honor God and to help one another. Because we belong to God, that's what we do. And I'm glad Acts 2 and Acts 4 are in your Bible because it shows that these people were not just dipping their toe in the water where Christianity was concerned. When they came to Christ in Acts 2, they bought into what he is all about wholeheartedly. Hook, line, and sinker. They were completely devoted to him and they showed it by what they did with their pocketbooks. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
And it's not hard to see where these people's hearts were. Their hearts were with Jesus. Their hearts were with the people of God. Do good to all, especially those who are of the household of the faith. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. I believe God wants every single one of us to be generous givers. I'm not just talking about putting money in to the collection. I'm talking about every aspect of our lives. With our finances, yes, but with our time, with our energy, with our opportunities, God wants us to live a giving lifestyle. That's what Jesus does with us. Jesus came and he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave and then he finally gave it all. He gave his life for us, didn't he? And if Jesus lived that way and we're going to follow him, we are to be givers too. And as we think about giving, it's not just about, and I appreciate men who lead prayers for our collection. I appreciate what is said. It's not just about, however, making sure that the work of the church can continue. That is a wonderful and a noble motive for giving, but there is so much more to giving than just the work of the church. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about you becoming more like Jesus. That's what giving really does. It makes us more like Christ. And here are four reasons for us to give. Here are four concepts for us to think about when it comes to the grace of being able to participate in the work of the Lord. Here they are. Number one, when we give, we show ourselves to be distributors of God's grace. The word grace means favor or blessing. God has blessed you and when you give, whether it's in the collection box or whether it is to your neighbor or whether it is to someone in need, when you give, you become a distributor. What God has put into your hand, you distribute to others. That is God's plan for your life. That is what he has designed you to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a lifestyle. God wants us to do good. Take the resources and the opportunities and the blessings that he's given to us and distribute those freely to others. In Titus 3 verse 14, he purified for himself, Jesus did, a peculiar people, a special people, and they are noted by the fact that they are zealous for good works. Let me ask you a question. Are you, because you belong to Jesus, are you devoted to good works are you interested in taking what God has blessed you with and distributing those blessings to others? That's what he's given you those blessings for. In Acts chapter three, verse six, if you got your Bible up in Acts four, turn back to Acts three, verse six. And I love what Peter says. There's a man by the gate of the temple and he's begging for alms. And people are coming and going and this man, he's lame. He's just, he's just sitting there. Maybe he's got a little cup in his hand and he's saying, alms, alms, will somebody help me? And in Acts chapter three, verse six, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I don't have any money, Peter says, 
but what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, he says, rise and walk. I believe every Christian ought to adopt that as kind of a motto we're giving as concerned. Silver and gold, I don't have. You know, the government took it all. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I will give to you. The doctors took it all, you know, whoever it is. But what I do have, I'll give. Maybe you don't have as much when it comes to silver and gold, but what you do have is you have encouragement to offer others. You have time to listen to somebody. You have a smile to give to somebody that helps brighten their day. Whatever it is that you do have, give it. When I was growing up, my grandparents lived on kind of a farm. It was the family, family farm, whatever. And there were two ponds and one was fed by a spring, but it had kind of a dam on the other end. And even though it was fed by a spring, every year, especially this time of year, it would start turning green and nasty and all kinds of plants and things would grow up in it. You know why? Because it had very little outlet. And there are a lot of Christians that look just like that. You're being fed by the constant spring of God's grace and God's blessings. And because you have no outlet, because you're not distributing what God has put into your hands, your life is going to become like that pond, just covered in green, nasty scum. Nobody thinks that's appealing. Nobody looks at that and says, boy, I wish I were more like that. Because New Testament Christians were not designed to be reservoirs. We're not designed to retain what God has given us, but rather to distribute it to others. It's a giving principle. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is one of my favorite promises in all the New Testament. Sometimes it's good just to stop and think about the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Think about this promise and what God is saying. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. It says, it's talking about giving. It says that when you decide to distribute, when you decide to give, that God gets involved. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. In other words, when I decide I'm going to distribute, I'm like that pond, I make an outlet and I'm letting the water continually flow to other places, to other reservoirs. When I do that, God is able to continue supplying me so that I, so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. There are people who preach what is called the gospel of health and wealth. Here's how the gospel of health and wealth goes. If you, Christians, will help me, you know, if you'll, if you'll give, then maybe God will do a miracle in your life. Maybe something good will happen to you, you know. You give so that you can get, period. The New Testament doesn't teach that. The New Testament teaches that we give and God promises to bless us and bless us continually so that we can continue to give even more. That's the New Testament teaching according to 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. We are distributors of God's grace and God is able to make all grace abound toward us that we can continue to do this vital important work of blessing others and being God's hands in a weary and broken world. When we give, we're distributors of God's grace. But secondly, this morning, when we give, we ought to think about it this way. 
We are bringing small things to a great God. We're bringing small things to a great God. We are like the little boy who had the loaves and fishes. When the apostles brought those loaves and fishes to Jesus, they asked, and I love this question, John 6, 8, and 9, what are these among so many? These loaves and fishes, I mean, look at the size of the crowd. When I give, when you give, that ought to be our question. That ought to be our thought. God, I want to give sacrificially. I want to be a distributor of your grace. But what is this? When we live in this world of seven plus billion people and there are so many needs and so many challenges and so many opportunities and so many crises, what are these among so many? We are people who bring small things to a great God. And you know what God does with our small meager offerings? He does what we could never comprehend. We never need to cease to be amazed by what God does with our meager offerings. In Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus saw that widow that came to the temple and she dropped in just two small coins. Everybody else, the wealthy, they were coming in with their bags of money and they were dropping their bags of money in and people were very impressed. But this widow with her two coins quietly, meekly puts them in the collection. And Jesus calls his disciples to himself and he says, you see that widow over there? She's put in more than anybody else. And the disciples, what, what do you mean, Jesus? She's, she just put two small coins in. No, no. All of those other people are giving out of their abundance. She has given all that she had. God knows. It's been said that the true test of our giving, whether it's sacrificial or not, true test of our giving is what we have left after we've given. What we have left after. The widow put in all that she had. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. Back up there in your Bibles if you would. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are both chapters that have to do with the giving of the Macedonians and encouraging the people at Corinth to give. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, Paul writes about how if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. These people love the Lord, they love the church, and they gave, and they begged for the privilege to be able to give because they wanted to bring whatever they could to a great God and to build up the church as a result. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There was an elderly man who put a $100 bill in the collection plate. And as he put that bill in the plate, he whispered, I'll see you in heaven. And the people that were sitting around that elderly man said, that's a really strange statement. Why would he say that? He's, he must be getting senile. He's, you know, he, he's really struggling. But the elders took that $100 bill and they used part of it to pay the church's internet bill. And then they took part of that $100 bill and they used it to pay some preacher students to help support them in their work. And then they took another part and they used it to help a missionary in a foreign country. And they took another part of that $100 bill and they used it to help somebody in the local community buy groceries. Nobody else thought about that $100 bill as long as that man lived. He died, he went to glory. And his first day in heaven, as he's walking down the street, that man who'd put that $100 bill in the plate he ran in, first thing he did, ran into somebody who came up and said, thank you so much for giving because the church where you worship 
paid the internet bill and I first learned about Jesus by watching your congregation's live stream. Thank you. Well, the man said, you're welcome. And he, and he continued on down the street and he soon ran into a bunch of people and they all came up and they, they gave the man hugs and they said, thank you so much for giving to the Lord because those preachers that you helped to support, those preacher students, they came to our communities, they came to our, 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 our states and they preached the gospel to us and we and our families, we came to Jesus because they had a ministry that, that had been begun by you. He walked a little further down the street, this man did, and came to people who were speaking foreign languages and they said, thank you so much because what you gave to the Lord helped us to learn the gospel for the very first time. You helped support foreign missionaries. And finally, he came to a person who said, I was on my last leg. I didn't know where I was gonna turn next, but thank you so much for giving because not only did the church meet my physical needs, but the church was able to teach me the gospel and reach out to me. And I'm here because you thought enough to give. And that man who had put that $100 bill on the plate and said, I'll see you in heaven, he finally realized, while we're here in this world, what we give, we never really see the fruit of, at least very rarely. But over there, on the other side, what is now faith is going to become sight. Lay up your treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're bringing small things to a great God. Next, when we think about giving, giving is a privilege, not just a responsibility. If all it is to you is a responsibility, you're not gonna give with the right heart, the right attitude. You just won't. Said another way, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It's a privilege. Look at the second Corinthians eight, look at verses four and five. These noble Macedonians, these poor Christians, the Bible says they begged us, second Corinthians eight, verse four, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, Paul says, but they gave first themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Paul came to this congregation and those Macedonians said, Paul, we've collected this money and we want you to take this to Jerusalem. We want you to bless our brethren with this money. And Paul said, wait a minute, you guys are poor. What, what are you doing without? You guys have needs here in Macedonia. And they said, no, Paul, we beg you, please take this money. Have you ever been a part of an exchange like that? You know, somebody's trying to give you $20 and no, 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 you keep it. No, you take it. No, yeah, you keep it. That's what Paul was doing with the Macedonians. No, you guys keep that. No, we want to give this money. Why were they doing that? Because they love the Lord, because they love the church. It is a privilege to give, brothers and sisters and friends. It's not just something we have to do. And if that's all you think it is, don't give. If that's all you think it is, it's a privilege. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, turn over there if you would. Look at what the passage says. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. The way we give matters as much as what we give. Whatever we do in word or deed, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we are to do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. 
When we give, we are not to let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. It's not about who we impress. It's not about what other people think of us. It's about, am I giving in a way that shows this is a privilege for me? It is a blessing for me to be able to help, to be able to give. And again, not just what you put in the collection plate, but everybody you serve or help. It's a privilege. It's my pleasure. Finally, this morning, giving principles, giving concepts. These are the words of the Lord himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now think about that for just a moment. That's Acts 20, verse 35. Jesus declares it there. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is a blessing to receive. It's a good thing when people want to help you, when people want to bless you. It's a good thing to receive help and blessings from others. That's, that's a good thing. It's not saying it's bad to receive. That's not what the passage says. What the passage says is it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so receiving is good, but giving is even better. That's what Jesus says. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because of the principle of the harvest. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The harvest manifests it. Why is it a blessing to give? Because when you give generously and sacrificially in the Lord's service for the Lord's purposes, when you do that, there will be a harvest that is beyond your comprehension. It's more blessed to give. Mark 10 verses 21 and 22, heaven itself will manifest that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The rich young ruler came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they talked about the commandments. And then finally, Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That's what Jesus says. Listen again, go and sell all that you have, rich young ruler, and the promise is that you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Heaven itself proves that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The promise of Jesus proves that. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, there's a passage about being a rich Christian there. It's worthy of our contemplation. Living in this country, living in the society we live in. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 tells us that we are not to be putting our trust in uncertain riches, but rather in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It says, let them do good and be ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a foundation of eternal life. It says that when we figure out the principle of giving and how it's more blessed to give than to receive, suddenly we find that which most people are lacking. We find contentment. You're not going to find contentment any other way except by putting your faith in God and by being generous to others. As a matter of fact, that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. That almost sounds like it's more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20, 35. We can find something that so many people find elusive. We can find contentment in God and what he's done for us.
and what he continues to do in our lives. God saves us so that we can be distributors of his grace to the people around us, our families, our neighbors, everyone. Don't ever forget that Christians are generous. By definition, they are generous because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. If we can help you to obey the gospel this morning, come to Christ, be a Christian. The way that you become a Christian is through faith in Jesus Christ, through repentance of your sin. Turn away from the life you've been living. Live for Jesus from now on, confess him. Confess that he is the son of God, that he is the Lord, that he is the risen savior and that you want him to be the Lord of your life. Romans chapter 10 verses nine and 10. And then becoming a Christian culminates in baptism, water baptism. That's the point at which we come into contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter three twenty one. baptism now saves us. The blood of Jesus is how we're saved. Baptism is when we're saved. If you need to make that commitment this morning, or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, won't you make your way down the aisle and make your need known while together we stand and while we sing.